Good morning, Weymouth. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning once again. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to see uh, you all showed up on time. You, no, no, nobody was here an hour early uh, that didn't want to be here, I guess. Uh, so hopefully you all enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night. I forgot that it was even happening and then woke up and I was like, hey, that was nice. Um, uh, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I would love to, to greet you if I haven't had a chance to already after the service, um, but we're, we're excited for what God has in store this morning. We'll uh, we'll worship together, we'll sing some songs, we'll uh, study God's Word together, we'll have a time of communion, and then uh, then after the service we'll have a, a, a time of meeting together as a congregation to go over some things. So so it's, it's a big Sunday, it's an exciting Sunday, we're really glad you're here. Uh, as we get started, uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer, and our, our practice is just to spend a few moments uh, just in, in silent prayer and quiet prayer in our own hearts to prepare for worship. So let's uh, do that together now, bow and pray with me. Psalm 51, David prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then down in verse 9, Hide your face, uh, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Father, that's our prayer as we worship you this morning, that you'll pour out your abundant mercy on us. You'll cleanse us from our sins. You'll forgive us for our iniquity in Christ. Lord, create a clean heart in us this morning. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Uphold us with your willing spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, please stand and sing with us. In 
announcements for us this morning for our, our church family. If you've noticed, the, the welcome table through these doors here in the back uh, is pretty, pretty full this week. There's a lot of papers and things. If you look at your bulletin, there's, there's a lot of things to take note of. Uh, you can always keep an eye on our website, weymouthchurch.com, to keep up with what's happening. But uh, we have a number, number of things going on uh, in this season as we are officially past Halloween, which I guess means it's Christmas time now apparently, because uh, we have some, some Christmas things that we're planning and doing. Um, there's, there's a woman's prayer night coming up. Uh, we are also, that's going to be a time for women to gather together, to pray together. Uh, you can find cards, invite cards, information about that on the welcome table. Uh, there's also uh, two different uh, outreaches we are doing this Christmas season. Uh, one is we are partnering with uh, a ministry we support called Live Inspired. As a ministry that helps provide early literacy training for, uh, for families, for parents, for young kids. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, we are going to uh, be getting a list of, uh, I think, 23 different families and books that they are requesting for, for the holidays, for Christmas. And we are asking uh, if, if uh, you as a church family, if you would like to sponsor a stocking for one of these families. So uh, we have a sign up on the welcome table if you would like to do that. In the coming weeks, we'll have some stockings available. We'll have um, some lists of books available. So the, the goal will be to fill each stocking with just three books for these families to then take and, and give to them for Christmas to support uh, the ministry of Live Inspired there with these families. So uh, we don't have those lists yet, but we wanted to give you a chance to sign up for that so we know how many stockings we'll have left to fill. So if you'd be interested in doing that, you can sign up at the welcome table. Uh, also, we'll be hosting uh, international students here in December, the 15th, the 16th, and the 17th. This is a ministry we've done in the past where we take international students from uh, you know, Ohio State, Kent State, colleges, Akron, around this uh, Ohio, Northeast Ohio area. And we, we host them over, over the Christmas holiday, over winter break, um, just, just to be a blessing to them, to, to meet some of their needs, to give them a place to go for those, those three days during that week. So if you'd be interested in doing that, again, there's information at the welcome table. Uh, you can sign up for that. And stay tuned for, to our website, to the church app this week, as some of the stuff will be getting posted online there as well. So you'll be able to go and sign up online at weymouthchurch.com. Uh, and then, as I mentioned at the start of this service, uh, after we're done in our worship service here, uh, around 11.45, 11.50, uh, we'll have a congregational meeting. 
And this will be a third quarter meeting to give an update on uh, the, the finances up to this point in the year, but also to, to give an update on the ministry up to this point uh, in this year. And it's, it's going to be a great time to, to celebrate God's blessings to us, to, to, to talk about some of the, uh, the, the new plans and things we're, we're prayerfully thinking about as elders, to hear ministry updates about uh, what, what, what's been going on this year, what we're anticipating coming in 2024, and things like that. So uh, I highly encourage you, if you can, we'll try and keep it not too, too long uh, after the service, and we'll come, we'll, we'll share some things, some different people will share some things, I'll share some things, and it's just a great time to stay up to date. So I really encourage you, if you can, to stay for that. It's going to be a good time together. Uh, if we provided at the welcome table, if you didn't get these already, we provided the, the third quarter financial reports. So if you want to, you can grab this. There's some of this information on the back of your bulletins, but this is a bit more in-depth about uh, where we are financially as a church. So this will be what we're talking about the first half of that meeting. So if you didn't grab this yet, you'll have a chance after the service to grab it and come back and look through it before the meeting. So uh, that'll be happening after the service, uh, after we spend some time in God's Word, in worship, and in communion together. So again, that's a lot. I'm sure there's more things that I could talk about here, but pay attention to the website, to the bulletins in the coming weeks. Uh, it's an exciting time in our church family. I think Christmas is, in general is an exciting time, but uh, for what God is doing here in Weymouth, it's, it's particularly uh, eventful, particularly exciting and encouraging. Uh, another encouraging thing that we got to participate in this past week as a church is we were able to, to partner with Oasis of Hope, which is a, uh, a crisis pregnancy center, a ministry in Medina to, uh, to care for the, the unborn, to care for, for moms who are in need, dads who are in need, who find themselves in unplanned pregnancy situation. So uh, last week we went Wednesday night and, and decorated a Christmas tree for their annual fundraiser that happened Friday night. And we decorated a superhero Christmas tree. It was a, it was a good time. It was a fun time. The tree turned out great. It, it, it got bid on, which was always good. I was a little worried if anybody, if somebody bought it and, and, and spent probably way more than they should have on it. But it, it was a great time Friday night to support that ministry. And, and, and one of the members of our church family, uh, Jill Horvath, is here. And Jill is uh, a volunteer with Oasis of Hope, so I thought it'd be a good chance to invite Jill to come up, tell us a little bit more about that ministry and what's going on, how we can get involved and be praying. But maybe just to start, Jill, just tell us who you are, who you're connected to here in the church, and then how long you've been a part of the Weymouth family here. Okay. I'm Jill Horvath, and my husband, Dennis Horvath, and we're always in that back row back there. Nice. Yeah. And um, I've been attending Weymouth six months, like at the old church building, and then here, so about five, five years, five and a half, okay, six cool. years. Nice. Um, my family consists of a son. He's in the Air Force in Germany and married and just had a baby Friday. Oh, congratulations. And um, a daughter in town, her husband and four children, and a daughter in Cincinnati, her husband and two children, and they are, he's in the Navy, but he's up there getting his master's for two years. Wow, that's amazing. So I probably did a poor job, so maybe you could do a better job of explaining what is Oasis of Hope? Well, how long has it been around? What's the ministry there? What do you guys do? Okay. Oasis of Hope is Oasis of Hope Pregnancy and Parenting Support Center. So and a lady comes in and she's, I believe she's pregnant. We want to confirm that. So we always try to have an ultrasound tech or nurse who has been trained to get them in that room and see that little baby and that little heartbeat. And that's the first thing we want to know because some come in abortion-minded and we want to really try to change that. And um, so we confirm that they're pregnant, and then we have classes for them. We want them to attend, um, not just come in and see that they're pregnant, but also get some information about Oasis. So we give them that. We then pray for a mentor for them, what we call a client advocate. And so we meet with them probably about once a week, 
and we give them a class, we have questions for them, we want to talk to them, see what they're at in life, we keep up. More than that, we want to show an interest. We want to show that we love them. And every person, a volunteer or staff member, just we love unconditionally. We take them where they're at, and we just mm -hmm. go from there. And we just continually pray for them and, yeah. and just teach and give education to them. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I was really encouraged by Friday night was hearing about how Oasis, you know, once a mom has the baby, that's not the end of the care there. So maybe if you talk a little bit more about the kind of care you give to, to moms and dads after the baby is born as they're figuring out this crazy parenting thing and okay. life and like that. Yeah. So I might be out of the questions. So oh, yeah. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a child or a client advocate now. I mm -hmm. used to work in the boutique, but I'm a client advocate now. And so that's kind of one of the main things that there that they're going to learn from. So when they sign up for mm -hmm. um, classes, we have a little video. It's called Bright Course or Earn While You Learn. We have two different um, curriculums, but a lot of us do the um, Bright Course now because when COVID came, mm -hmm. we had to go online, and so we were presented mm -hmm. with this new course. And so mm -hmm. they watch a video, and they have homework questions they kind of fill out as they watch the video, and then um, the worksheet questions, and then there's homework questions, and then we meet with them. So we go over the questions with them. Um, mm. We as leaders or advocates are given discussion questions, things to bring up. But you know your client, uh, the mother's there, and sometimes the father comes along. We really encourage that, but sometimes we get the fathers in there. Mm. And so you know where they're at, and you know maybe what struggles they're going through. So you want to address those and ask them what's going on in their lives. Mm and just care about them. And occasionally you might meet with them outside. Like I have one client that's a virtual client. So I've really only probably seen her three or four times, but we, uh, in person. So I sometimes will drive down to her home and go to coffee or take mm -hmm. her shopping or whatever mm -hmm. it needs. So you just want to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they, um, after they take their class, they get vouchers and they can go downstairs in the boutique and shop. Mm -hmm. Diapers, wipes, furniture, toys, uh, some personal items. Anything a baby needs, we try to have down there. People donate old, um, gently used, and um, new things. So they can go down to the shop mm. then. And so just again, we just love on them. We have uh, classes, group classes also. They might come in and do a CPR class or do a, how to bathe your baby. Mm. This is your first time you've had a baby and you don't really know how do you bathe that infant. You know, mm. it's kind of uncomfortable to do, so you want to show them. Um, nutrition classes, mm. maybe discipline class, just all kinds of classes we offer. Financial classes, some of them mm. are struggling, a lot of them are struggling financially. Mm. And um, so those are just the things we Amazing. teach them. Yeah, that's really cool. So maybe tell us how long have you served with Oasis of Hope? And then, you know, without using any names, what are, have there been any particular highlights, encouragements over the years as you've worked with these? These women and these families. Yeah. yeah. So I've been with Oasis a little over 11 years. Mm. We first started meeting in a, a very claustrophobic office. Mm. But then, mm. Lord blessed, and we got the building where we are on Court Street. It's the old United Way building, the big building with the big white pillars mm. across from the funeral home. So that's where we're at. We have big signs out there. And um, so we've been there 11 years, and I've been there ever since we opened that building up. I was at another church originally when Tracy, who is now the director, mm -hmm. came to talk about Oasis, and I'd been praying about where, God, do you want me to be in ministry? Mm -hmm. And that was the day it happened. And I just talked to her afterwards, and I've been there ever since. Mm -hmm. And my moments are probably, there's a few highlights. Um, the first one would be when an abortion-minded person comes in, mm -hmm. and we show them that heartbeat, and they change their mind. And mm -hmm. that is the biggest blessing. Mm -hmm. 
And the next ones are just every little baby that's born there. I just love that to see them. And we've been with that parent for almost nine months and working with them in the final moments here. And we see the birth. And then um, also the biggest thing is we do teach, um, we want them to learn about God. So when you get to the point where you feel that person is open to you, mm -hmm. to listening to you, um, you would say, can I pray with you today? You might start there. Because each lesson has a spiritual application page, and they are feel free to read it because it comes in their lesson. Mm -hmm. Some don't, but sometimes I will go over the verses anyway if I feel that they're ready to hear them. Mm -hmm. But And then um, to share the gospel. But we have had women come to know Christ, and that is probably the most... Mm -hmm. That's the biggest blessing there because that's our goal. Mm. Save babies, help them, parent them, educate them, and uh, see them come to know the Lord. Mm. Amazing. Praise God. That's awesome. So how can we uh, participate in that uh, first maybe through our prayers? Like how can, what, what can we be praying for for the ministry of Oasis? Okay. The first thing I would ask for prayer for is for each girl who walks through those doors or picks mm. up the phone. Actually, a lot of them will call beforehand. Mm. And especially if they are abortion-minded, that they would see that that is a baby inside and that they can keep that baby and raise that baby or give it up for adoption. We have had a few give up for adoption, and that's probably you know, the best alternative for them mm. and um, the best choice for them. So they do that. But pray for each of them. And then pray for us as all the, the staff and the volunteers there mm. that we would just love them unconditionally. Mm. Not judge. Meet them where they're at. And that we as, I'm a client advocate, but that we as client advocates can uh, just know where to go with the lessons mm -hmm. and just to um, understand where they're at and try to help them through their issues. That's amazing. And know the Lord, that's also. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's good. And then on top of prayers, how could we, I mean, get involved more as a church? What are needs that we could help meet? Or what were, if people were interested in getting more involved in Oasis, what would be some, some helpful ways to do that? Okay, so yeah. um, we have the boutique downstairs, which always needs help. You do laundry, you fold laundry, that's part of it. You wash things up. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a boutique, there's always the desk, uh, the receptionist area. There's a lady at the desk all times. So we try to have it at all times. Mm -hmm. And um, client advocates, as myself. Also, um, if you're ever pregnant, you find yourself pregnant, and we always need models to come in because we have one trained, licensed um, ultrasound tech. And after that, we have lots, quite a few nurses actually on staff staff or volunteer and we want to train each one of those so mm. that there's always somebody there when somebody mm. walks through that door and that's the first thing we do is do an ultrasound for them so um but if you, we always are looking for models to train so if you find yourself pregnant and you're a couple months along or a few weeks along and mm. um, if you want to come in and so they can practice on you really we need because mm. we have to have models so they that's can get cool. trained wow. and um so those and then the yeah. next question yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. What is, yeah. Um, so things that we could use right now, I mean, of course, we always use diapers, wipes, and mm -hmm. things like that, clothing. But as far as um, outside of the, like the desk and the boutique and client advocates, right now, if you are a handyman or a handywoman, um, we mm -hmm. always need some things fixed, always need some updating. Like right now, we're mm -hmm. trying to update the bathrooms, wallpaper torn down, paint them, and replace the flooring. Mm -hmm. And um, also we can use somebody that wants to help clean, um, dusting, sweeping, mopping, bathrooms. Yeah. You know, um, we always need people to help keep it clean. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so there's ways to volunteer, there's ways to donate, there's ways to help meet practical needs. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate what you've done for 11 plus years now in, in the ministry of Oasis and, and how that's 
ministering to really, you know, important needs in our community and, and God's using that to lead people to faith. So uh, could I just pray for, for you, for the ministry and for our, our partnership there? Yeah. Well, merciful Father, we thank you for uh, Oasis of Hope, for uh, the ministry there, for the, uh, the, the volunteers, the staff, the, the director, for Tracy, for Jill. Um, we just thank you for, for all the people you're using in that place to, uh, to care for, for moms and dads and, and babies and uh, those who find themselves in, in desperate situations, challenging circumstances, uh, facing uh, challenging questions, working things out. Lord, we thank you for this, the unconditional love that they desire to show uh, people in our community. And so we pray for the, especially the women who walk in those doors, those who may be uh, planning or, or considering an abortion. We pray that you'll uh, work through volunteers like Jill and others to, to love them, to listen to them, to, to welcome them, to, to show them the, the gift of life that, that you give us in, in kids, uh, but ultimately the gift of life that you give us in Christ. Uh, just continue to work through them, work as they have these conversations, as they teach classes, as they do ultrasounds, as they uh, do studies. Um, as if they meet needs uh, practically, uh, use all of that to to protect and deliver the unborn, but also to, to deliver people into your kingdom through faith in Christ. And help us as a church family to know how to, to partner with this ministry, how we can serve, uh, how we can volunteer, how we can donate, how we can uh, learn to care for and, and love uh, those around us who also find themselves in desperate or challenging situations. Lord, just give us your wisdom going forward and and even as we anticipate the election on Tuesday, as we anticipate this season and what may happen, what may not happen, Lord, just continue to, to grow this ministry in Medina. Continue to use it uh, to help meet uh, the needs, to help bring life into our community, both physically and spiritually, uh, and help us to, to do the same as a church family, to partner with them, to, to step out in faith, to sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources. Uh, to care for the unborn, to care for, for women and men who are in need and in desperate situations. Lord, just give us more wisdom, give us more of your grace to, to engage these kinds of needs for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom. So we thank you for Jill, for her family, for Dennis, for her kids and grandkids. We thank you for this ministry. We pray that it will grow, that it will glorify you, and that your will will be done through them and through us as your church. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. Um, any questions, you can see me afterwards any, mm. anytime. If you'd like to take a tour of the place, we can always get you in to take a tour. Yeah. It's a really amazing place inside. Mm. And um, yeah, just, just pray for us. That's great. And we have some materials on the welcome table. Again, it's a busy welcome table today, but there's some pamphlets, some information about how you can pray, how you can get involved, more about the ministry. You can grab that at the welcome table in the back. Uh, but now I want to uh, let the kids go here. It's time for the kids to go to uh, Weymouth Kids. You can follow Mrs. Martin out. Uh, today's our communion Sunday, so typically, thank you. Typically, uh, when it's communion, we let the kids go. We, we take a break from our children's lessons. So you guys follow Mrs. Martin out, and then the rest of us will stand, and we'll sing another song together.
Dancing down their golden grounds around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Which word and art and evermore shall be. center our hearts on, on your name and, and on all that you have provided for us. And Lord, not least of all, our salvation. Lord, I pray that we would learn to depend on you and that we would, um, that we would speak your word to, to those around us daily. Lord, I pray that, um, that your word would, would penetrate deep into our hearts, Lord, um, and that we would, we would learn from your word here today. Um, Lord, I pray all this in your name. I'll invite you to open your Bibles, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. We've been going through this book here, or over the halfway point now in, in the book of Jonah. Uh, so we'll, we'll look at chapter 3 this morning, and then uh, next Sunday we won't finish it. Next Sunday we're actually going to have uh, a good friend of our church, Matt Bazemore, is going to come and, and open up God's Word for us next Sunday, and then uh, we'll hit Jonah chapter 4 the following Sunday after that, God willing. Uh, but we've been going through this book, and uh, we have arrived at chapter 3, which is a pivotal turning point in the book here. Jonah's been swallowed by the whale. He's, been, he's prayed in the belly of the whale. He's been uh, vomited back out. And then uh, we see uh, how the story turns here in chapter 3. So uh, you can turn to the book of Jonah. It follows uh, the book of Obadiah. It precedes the book of Micah. It's one of the 12 uh, minor prophets we have towards the end of the, the Old Testament. Um, so if you're there, you can follow along in chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. The Lord of power and grace, all hearts are in your hands, all events are at your disposal. So we ask you to set the seal of your almighty will upon the ministry of your word this morning. That seed which is sown in weakness may be raised in the power of your spirit for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you. Maybe you've had a different experience than me, uh, but I don't think I have ever won an argument online. I don't think I've ever won an argument online. I'm not really active on social media anymore, but, but back in the day, right, and in the early days of Facebook or even on Zanga. Does anybody remember Zanga? That was a thing. A certain generation of people might remember that. It was, basically, it was basically just like Facebook, but no pictures, and it was just all really, really long status updates. Um, it was basically just blogs. It was blogs. This is all for my wife, Laura, right now. Um, <laughs> Right, But back in the day, I remember in the early days of social media, I would go on and, and, and being the, the young, zealous Christian high school kid that I was, I would, I would try and get into arguments, debates with people online about the Bible, about theology, about the gospel, and, and, it, and it never went well, right? No, nobody ever responded positively when I told them that they were wrong or that they were going to hell or that they were going to be judged, right? It, it, that, that space, you know, social media is inherently a disembodied, inherently a hostile a volatile space, and it's, it's very, very rare that you'll go into that kind of hostile space and get a good response if you tell somebody that they're wrong, right? That doesn't usually go very well. They don't usually respond very well to that. And I thought about that here in Jonah 3, because what's happening in Jonah 3 is that the prophet Jonah, he's also going into an extremely hostile, volatile space. And he's going with a message that the people there are not just wrong, but actually, the people there are going to be destroyed. That'd be a fun Facebook post, right? Fun Instagram post like, hey, everybody, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. That would probably not go over very well. Right? So Jonah, he goes into this hostile space with a message that this place, the city of Nineveh, is going to be destroyed in 40 days. But then shockingly, his audience responds positively. They respond positively. They believe him, and they actually change their behavior. And so what we see happen in this chapter in Jonah 3 is that the word of the Lord spoken through an obedient messenger actually leads to a shocking repentance. That's what we see in this chapter, that the word of the Lord spoken through an obedient messenger leads to a shocking repentance, a shocking turning. And so we'll look how this unfolds for us this morning first by looking at Jonah's obedience in verses 1 to 4, and then, Jonah's, or then Nineveh's repentance in verses 5 to 10. Jonah's obedience, verses 1 to 4, and then Nineveh's repentance in verses 5 to 10. So look with me first here at verses 1 to 4 where we see Jonah's obedience. 
Now, when people film movies and TV shows, I don't know if you've ever been an actor, I'm not an actor or anything like that, but I know uh, just from cultural osmosis that when people film movies and TV shows that they do so in multiple takes. Right? They, they'll shoot multiple takes of the same scene, they'll act out the scene once, then they'll reset the scene, then they'll act it out again. And so if an actor does a poor job in one take, then they'll get another chance in the next take. That's how these things work. When we get to Jonah 3, what is happening in Jonah 3 is that the scene has been reset. The scene of the story has been reset, and we have take two in the story of Jonah. Because if you look at the language here at the start of chapter 3, it's almost identical to the language that we see at the start of chapter 1. Once again, we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. God gives Jonah the exact same command he gave him in chapter 1, the command that Jonah went and disobeyed. But there's one difference here between the language in chapter 1 and here in chapter 3. And and the language is that this time God adds the instruction to call out against it the message that I will tell you. The message that I will tell you. So here God is calling Jonah once again to go to this city, to Nineveh, to his enemies. He reminds Jonah, he tells him that the message that Jonah is to speak, it's not a message of Jonah's own making. He's not saying, hey, Jonah, go post whatever you want online. Hey, Jonah, go share your own political opinions, your own judgments against your enemies and Ninevites. No, he says, go and speak the message that I will tell you. Go and speak the word that I am going to give you to speak. And so he's calling Jonah to speak not Jonah's word. He's calling Jonah to speak the word of the Lord to the Ninevites. And in verse 3, Jonah, he responds to this call. The narrator tells us that Jonah arose... And at this point, we're holding our breath in the story, right? He arose because last time we saw this, Jonah arose, and he went in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He completely disobeyed God. And so we see the same command come, and once again, Jonah arises, and we're holding our breath, but this time, he does the right thing. This time, he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. See, it took two tries, it took two takes, but Jonah, he finally gets it right. He finally obeys the call of God to go and preach his word to his enemies, to the Ninevites. And so he goes into Nineveh, this large city. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the center of this uh, cruel, hostile, powerful nation. This nation that posed an existential risk to the the people of Israel. Jonah goes into this city and the narrative tells us that it would take a, a normal person three days to journey through the entire breadth of the city of Nineveh. But then Jonah, he starts to go into the city, and at the end of just the first day, he calls out to the Ninevites, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be, shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah goes into the city, he goes one day's journey in, and then he proclaims the word of God. He proclaims the word of God's coming judgment against the Ninevites. And so we're meant to see this difference between chapter 1 and chapter 3. We're meant to see how Jonah, who is completely and utterly disobedient in the first chapter, now he's completely, he's obedient here in chapter 3. And that makes us ask the question, then what changed in Jonah's life? What brought him from disobedience in chapter 1 to obedience in chapter 3? Well, what we saw in chapter 2 is that what changed is that Jonah himself has encountered God's mercy. He has been delivered by God's shocking, surprising, sensational mercy and grace. You see, Jonah, his disobedience merited him a one-way ticket to death. 
Because he had disobeyed God's call to go to Nineveh in chapter 1, he was cast into the storm at the end of chapter 1. And, and within that storm, he faced certain death. He faced the, the reality of drowning, of dying, of being submerged in death. But then God miraculously, mercifully, he used a great fish to swallow Jonah, to rescue Jonah from certain death. And then in the belly of that fish, Jonah's his heart was changed. He was led to repent. He was led to turn in the Lord to praise him for his mercy, to call out for deliverance from God. And so as, as a result of that change in Jonah's heart, then God frees him from the fish. He vomits him out back into the land of the living, back onto dry land. And so when God's call comes to Jonah here in chapter 3, when his command comes to him a second time, it, it's coming to a man who has gone from death to life. It's coming to a man who has experienced firsthand the power, the wonder, the deliverance of God's mercy. And so because Jonah has experienced God's mercy, he's now able then to actually go and fulfill the command God gave him. He's actually able to go and preach God's word even to his enemies. And so what we see is that God's mercy has the power to turn disobedient men and women into obedient messengers. God's mercy has the power to turn even the most disobedient men and women into obedient messengers who go even, even into the most hostile, volatile places to speak God's word. You see, Jonah, he had, he had liked the idea of obeying God. He had been God's prophet. He had been God's servant in, in 2 Kings 14. He, he liked obeying God when it suited him. But the second God's call went against Jonah's own idols, the second his command pushed against the, the idols in his heart of natural, national pride and national security, when God had first called Jonah to preach his word to his enemies, Jonah became disobedient. He chose his idols over God. And similarly, we here, we might like the idea of obeying God when it suits us. We might like the idea of obeying God, of doing what the Bible says, of doing what God wants us to do uh, when it will merit us some reward when it will earn us some blessing or comfort or success. But what happens when God's call, when his command pushes against our own idols? What happens when his command is to go and cross party lines or to go and cross unthinkable borders to take his word to hostile places, whether it's another country or whether it's across the street or to the other cubicle at work? What happens when his call pushes against those idols, pushes against our own pride? It calls us to love and share with people we distrust, people we don't like, people we struggle with, maybe even people we hate, people who are a threat to us, people who persecute us. What happens when that's God's call for us, when that's his command to cross these borders, to go to these places and these people? What happens to us when God's command presses on the nerve of our own cultural or political or personal pride and idolatry? What happens then? Well, if we've made these idols our ultimate hope, if we've made these idols of, of national pride, cultural pride, political pride, personal achievement and performance, pride in our own works and our own effort, if we've made these idols our ultimate hope, then when God calls us to cast down these idols, when his commands push against these idols, what happens is we'll flee. We'll become disobedient like Jonah because we've elevated some other idol, our own human wisdom, some human institution above God. We're looking to that thing for our ultimate security, our ultimate salvation, our ultimate deliverance instead of God and his mercy. See, Jonah's disobedience, 
our disobedience. It's not just a moral act. It's not just a choice. It's rooted in idolatry. It's rooted in what our hearts are ultimately rooted in, what our hearts are ultimately trusting in for deliverance and salvation. And so the only way we will truly become obedient, the only way we will truly obey God and honor him with our lives is if those idols are uprooted out of our hearts and replaced with something greater, replaced with a greater hope, a greater deliverance, a greater salvation. And we find that greater hope, that greater deliverance in God's mercy. We find this replacing power, this transforming power that can cast aside our idols, that can lead us to disobedience because we have found a greater hope than anything those idols could offer. Because if we've truly encountered God's mercy, then that means that we've come to see the sin in our own hearts. We've come to see that no amount of performance, no amount of moral or spiritual effort can make up for, for the failure at the depth of our being. That no human idol, no human wisdom can make up for the death that we carry around with us because of our sin. The destruction that is at the root of our hearts because of our idols. You see, if we've encountered God's mercy, and what that means is that we have seen, we have been submerged like Jonah into the depths and darkness of, of sin, of death. We've recognized how forsaken, how fallen, how broken, how helpless we are on our own. Because the only time we truly encounter God's mercy is when God brings us to a point like he did with Jonah, where we realize that God's mercy is the only hope we have, that no human idol, no human effort will ever provide the deliverance from sin, the deliverance from death that we truly need. But when we get to that point, when God brings us to that moment of seeing that his mercy is the only hope we have, he also shows us that his mercy is the only hope we need. His mercy is the only hope we need. It's the only life we need. It's the true deliverance that we need that he offers to us in his mercy and in his grace. We see that our only hope for him is not to perform better, to do more, to achieve more. Our only hope for him is to withhold the judgment and death that we deserve in his mercy and to give us a new life that we could never achieve on our own. And the good news of the Bible, the good news of the gospel is that this mercy we need, this delivering, sensational, ultimate mercy, that this is the kind of mercy that God himself is rich in. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us, but God being rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He is gratuitous with mercy. He is super abundant with mercy. God is rich in this kind of mercy that we need, the kind of mercy that plunges into the grave. That doesn't leave dead sinners where we are. That doesn't leave us in the depths of the wave or in the belly of the tomb, but who dives into the tomb to bring dead sinners back to life. That's the kind of mercy that God is rich in, and we know this because this is what, exactly what God has done for us in Christ. This is exactly what God has done for us in Christ. Because God, he, he called Jonah to go and preach his word to his enemies, and it took Jonah two takes, two tries to get there. But Jesus didn't need a second take. Jesus didn't need a second try. He was God's perfect, obedient servant, his son who perfectly obeyed God's call to take on flesh, to go into a hostile, volatile world, not just to preach to his enemies, but to die for his enemies. And Jesus, he didn't just teach God's word to us. He didn't just proclaim God's word like Jonah did. The Bible tells us Jesus is God's word to us. He is the word of God made flesh. 
He is the Son of God who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And as Paul continues in Philippians 2, he says that Jesus, this perfect servant, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient to death. He is the perfectly obedient prophet, the perfectly obedient servant who obeyed even death on the cross for the sake of disobedient sinners like us. See, Jonah was a disobedient servant who needed God's mercy to make him obedient. But Jesus is a perfect obedient servant, the Son of God who came to bring God's mercy to us to pour out God's mercy upon us, even in our death, even in our disobedience. And in order to do so, Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross, where he paid the price, the ultimate judgment, the ultimate death that we deserve for our disobedience. He went to the cross and he died so that God could pour out his mercy on us, so that God could withhold the judgment that we deserve, because he had poured that judgment out on his own son. And so in Christ, God in his abundant, gratuitous, sensational mercy, he has plunged himself into the depths, he has plunged himself into the depths of the grave. He has gone down into the tomb to rescue sinners like us who are dead in our sin and our disobedience. But that's not all, because Paul continues in Philippians 2, he says that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christ became obedient to death. He plunged himself into the grave for us. But then God the Father raised him out again. Jesus rose again to new life. and, And God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name a name at which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus went down into the tomb. He died in our place, but then he was raised up. He was exalted to new life. And if we are in Christ, if we trust in him by faith, if we cast our our salvation upon him, if we place our ultimate hope in him and not in some idol, not in our ultimate performance, but in the mercy he brings us, If we are in him, then we are not just spared the judgment and the death that we deserve. We are raised to a whole new life in the exalted Lord Jesus. We have a whole new life in our union with him. And there's no greater mercy than this. Can there be any greater hope, any greater deliverance, any greater mercy than this that we have in Christ? Because the depth of our sin and death are not enough to keep us from the height of the mercy and life that Christ provides for us. No matter how low you've gone, no matter how deep down into death and disobedience and sin you've tumbled, nothing can keep God's mercy in Christ from coming down and bringing you up and raising you up into new life. His mercy is that powerful, it's that sensational, it's that transformative. As Richard Sims put it, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. If you remember one thing from this sermon, just remember that line from Sibs, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. That's the whole thing right there. That's the whole Christian life right there. 
If you know that, if you believe that, if you come to see that, it will change everything, both in this life, but also into eternity. Because if we have, if we have encountered this mercy in Christ, if, if we have found this life in Christ, it radically transforms how we live. This mercy doesn't just give us hope, oh great, I'm going to get to go to heaven someday. It doesn't just give us a get out of hell free card. This mercy radically transforms the life we live because we know we've been brought from death to life. We hadn't received mercy. We were doomed in our sin, but now we have received mercy. We've been brought out of the grave. We have a new life where we can know God. We can walk with him. We can serve him. We can be his servants just as Christ has served us and rescued us. God's mercy in Christ, then it gives us a new motive, a new freedom and a new power to live in obedience to God with the help of his spirit. Before Christ, apart from Christ, we are unable to perfectly obey him, unable to to do his will, to do what he has called us to do. But in Christ now, not not perfectly, but in Christ now, we can start to, to obey him with his help, with the help of his spirit. We can put sin to death. We can turn away from sin. We can live for Christ. And part of that means that this this mercy that has rescued us, this mercy that has compelled us in Christ to turn away from our sin, to be rescued and brought into new life, this same mercy also compels us to offer the same love and hope and grace to even those who oppose us, to even those who persecute us, to even those who seek to destroy us. Because if we understand this mercy, if we understand this gospel message, if we see the depths of our sin, how deep and dark our sin is, then who are we to judge the sin and the depth of, the depth of sin in other people? Who are we to think that we are any better than anyone else, even the worst of sinners? Because we are the worst of sinners. We were dead in the tomb, and yet Christ has raised us up, not because of anything we've done, but because of his mercy. And if we've been delivered by this mercy, who are we? Who are we to withhold this same mercy from others? Who are we to say that anyone else is is outside of the realm of God's grace? Who are we to say that? Who are we to think that there are people who are not worthy of the same mercy that we weren't worthy for? The same mercy that came to us only as a gift of God's grace in the person and work of Christ? Who are we to withhold that even from those who are our enemies? Even even from those who who pose the greatest risk to us? Because in Christ, if we have encountered God's mercy, then we have a whole new basis to offer his mercy and his grace to even the most unthinkable people. Because we were the most unthinkable people. We were the most surprising, the most shocking sinners, and yet we have been rescued by his mercy. So who are we to withhold that from other people? To say no when God calls us to cross the border. To say no when God calls us to cross the street. To say no when God calls us to love even that difficult person in our families or in our schools or in our workplaces. To love that person who's on the other side of a political debate. To love that person who has vastly different morals and worldviews from us. Who are we to withhold this mercy that Christ has offered to us? This mercy that can turn disobedient, dead men and women into obedient messengers. If we get this, if we get this mercy, if we see it, if we rest in it, if we take it seriously, it'll transform us. It'll lead us to step out in faith to offer the message of God's mercy even to our enemies. And if we do that, if we step out in faith in this way, compelled by the mercy that God has poured out in Christ for us, if we share this mercy with others, 
then we might just be surprised by the response we get. We might just be surprised when we see that God leads people to respond positively to this mercy, to turn from their sin. We might be just be surprised to see a response from others that is more sensational, more wonderful than we ever could have imagined. Because that's what happens to Jonah. That's what happens here in chapter 3 as Jonah's obedience leads to Nineveh's repentance. Nineveh's repentance in verses 5 to 10. Now, I love stories of, of movies and shows and books that have uh, a big twists or big surprises in them, right? I won't name any of them now because I don't want to spoil anybody and get angry emails tomorrow morning. But um, I love stories that have big twists or surprises. And so I've really I've enjoyed studying the book of Jonah because Jonah is a book that is filled with twists. It is filled with surprises. It is filled with you know, shocking turns in the narrative here. You know, we see the surprise of of God's initial call for Jonah to go to Nineveh, to go and preach to his enemies. We see the surprise of Jonah, a prophet, doing something no other prophet has done, which is to disobey the call of God. We see the surprise of a giant fish coming out of nowhere and and swallowing Jonah up. And we're like, okay, what do we do with that? That's crazy. Right? These things are surprising. They're shocking. They're sensational. But there may be no greater surprise, no greater shock in the story of Jonah than the way that the Ninevites respond to Jonah's message. The way that they respond, because in response to what Jonah preaches, the narrator tells us that the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The people of Nineveh, they hear this call that that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown, it's going to be destroyed, and they respond by fasting. They respond by putting on sackcloth. And these two behaviors in that culture at that time, they were, they were behaviors that were traditional signs of grief, of penitence. Right? This, this hostile, cruel city, what they do in response to Jonah's message is they, they put on funeral clothes. They don funeral garb. They put on sackcloth. They sit in the ashes. They embrace a posture of grief and repentance. Remember, these are people that were utterly brutal and hostile and cruel to their enemies to prisoners of war, to to young people, to to children. These were utterly hostile people. And here they are grieving, repenting, putting on sackcloth from the least of them to the greatest of them. This is a complete repentance here. The entire city of Nineveh from the least to the greatest turns in grief for their sin and fear of the Lord. And the question is, why would they do this? Why would this great hostile city do this? Well, it the narrator tells us, it's, he says, it's because they believed God. Because they believed God. Now notice it doesn't say because they believed Jonah. Because they thought Jonah was a very compelling messenger. It says they believed God. They believed the divine word of the Lord that came through Jonah. The, the, the message that, that was spoken through Jonah's lips, but it had a, a greater a divine power behind it. A power that could lead even this most unthinkable city to repentance, to grief for their violence and their evil. The Ninevites, they believed this word of God's coming judgment, and it led the entire city to repent. But the narrator, he he keeps this going. He takes it even further by saying that uh, this repentance is even more striking when we see how uh, the narrator turns our attention not just from the people of Nineveh, but also to the king of Nineveh takes us into the throne room of Nineveh where the king of Nineveh himself, he arises again from his throne. He rises from his throne, but then he he goes down, he removes his royal robe, he covers himself with sackcloth and sits in the ashes. 
This is the power of God's word here. It takes even the most powerful person in the most powerful hostile kingdom at that time and leads him into a posture of, of grief, of humility. Remember, this king was the king of one of the most powerful, brutal nations in the world. One of the most violent people the world has ever seen. And yet this king, he, he steps off his throne. He sits in the ashes. He takes on this posture of grief, of repentance. And then what does he do? He issues a proclamation. He issues a proclamation. What this proclamation is doing is it is formalizing, formalizing the repentance that is happening organically through Nineveh. He commands all people to, to fast and put on sackcloth. He even, he even commands the livestock to be fed, right? This is, this, is something that really, this is something that really struck me. You're like this, Isaiah. Uh, this is a really funny moment where he tells even the animals to put on sackcloth, right? The, the, the goats and the cows and the sheep. He says, hey, don't feed them anything. Don't give them any water, right? Put sackcloth on them. Put them in a posture of grief and repentance. Even the, the animals are called to repent in Nineveh. That's how complete this repentance is. That's how complete this grief, this turning from sin is. The narrator is, highlight, is trying to show us how total this, this repentance is. And as the king, he calls all living things in Nineveh, men and women, even the animals, he calls them to call out mightily to God, to turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This most violent, most cruel of nations, the king himself is calling people, hey, turn away from that violence. Turn away from that evil. Call out mightily to God. He's telling these people to repent, to turn and cry out to God for mercy. And this, this call for repentance is, is a call to turn. Repentance is one of these churchy, bible words that we use sometimes that we don't always define, but really, at its core, what it means to repent is it means to turn. It means to go from walking in one direction to turn and go and walk in another direction. And, and we see this in the text as this word turn is repeated again and again in these verses. The king, he first calls the people to turn from their evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Because maybe if they turn, then God himself will turn. Maybe God himself will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger and spare the Ninevites. It's like a merry-go-round here, right? Everybody's just turning all over the place in these verses. Maybe if the Ninevites turn and repent, then God will return and re will turn and relent. And so the entire city does this. They turn away from their infamous violence, from the violence that is in their hands. They turn towards the Lord for mercy. They cry out mightily to God. And how does God respond? to this repentance, to this turning of the Ninevites? Well, he himself turns in response. Look at verse 10. It says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see what's happening here. The turning of the Ninevites has led God himself to turn from destroying them. The, the Ninevites repented, and then God relented. And here we encounter something that's really striking, that's really mysterious about God. Here we encounter something that we can't fully comprehend as, as finite humans in a fallen world. God, God relents here uh, when he relents from this destruction. That's not uh, God saying that he had made a mistake in promising to destroy the Ninevites. That's not saying that God was wrong and the Ninevites convinced him and he changed his mind. That's not saying that God changed his mind at all. Because scripture tells us that God is perfect. God is holy. He never changes. There's no deceit in him. This wasn't a bait and switch here. 
No, God, in some mysterious way, in his mercy, in his grace, uh, he, he isn't abandoning his word that he said. He was, his plan was actually to use that word, that word of judgment, to actually lead the Ninevites to repentance. This was always God's intention. This was always God's plan to use the speaking of his word through his obedient servant to lead sinners to repentance. And this is always God's plan. God's plan, the way he calls sinners to himself, the way he works in the world is he speaks through his word to lead sinners to repentance. And he uses obedient servants. He uses the, the, the writers of scripture, the, the, the men who he inspired to record his word for us so that we can read it today. And we can see our sin and we can see God's calling and judgment for our sin and we too can be led to repent. This is always God's purpose is to speak through his word, to speak through his servants in his word to lead sinners to repentance, to lead sinners to turn from their evil, to cry out for his mercy. This was God's plan for the Ninevites. This was God's plan for Jonah. This is God's plan for us. And so we see something really important here about the character of God. We see in Scripture that, yes, God is just. Yes, God is holy. Yes, he hates evil. He hates injustice. He hates oppression and sin. But he's also full of mercy. He is, he's willing to send his word to lead even the worst of sinners, even the worst of worse, to repentance, to turn and be spared. This is what God is doing in the world. He is working through his word to lead more and more people who are dead in their sins to cry out for his mercy. This is important because so often the reason that we flee from God, the reason that we run from God, we, the reason we turn away from him is that we think that our mistakes and failures, our sin and our death, it's, it's too much for God to handle. It's too much for God to ever accept us. You know, we may not believe in God, but we think that even if a holy God did exist, that he would never accept us. Because if he was truly good, if he was truly holy, how could he accept us in light of all the wrong we've done? In light of all the ways we've messed up, all the ways we've broken his law, all the ways we've been selfish and sinful and chase after idols and disobedience. We think that we're too broken, we're too foolish, we're too full of guilt for God to accept us. And so really, according to the Bible, the only thing that's truly keeping us from knowing God, from receiving God's mercy, from being accepted by him, the only thing keeping us from that, it's not, it's not our failures, it's not our mistakes. It's not even our sin. It's our lack of repentance. It's the fact that we are unwilling to turn towards him because we don't think that he's willing to turn towards us. But the message of the gospel is that he already has. He already has turned towards us in mercy in Christ. And so the only thing keeping us away from him is our lack of faith, our lack of willingness to repent. We don't come to God because our understanding of his mercy is far too small. Because we treat God like a boss and we think, hey, if, if I just do these things for God, then he'll reward me. We don't see him as this merciful, gracious father abounding in mercy and steadfast love who sent his son to turn towards us so that we can turn towards him to pay the price for us so that we can receive his mercy. As John Owen put it, one of the, reasons, the main reasons why we turn away from God is because we have too small a view of his heart for us. We have too small a view of his mercy towards us. So how do we change that? How do we see that God is willing to accept us, that God is abundant in mercy, gratuitous in mercy for us in Christ? Well, this changes for us. We see that just like the Ninevites did by hearing the word of God, 
by looking to God's word because it was God's word spoken through Jonah that led the Ninevites to repentance and it's God's word revealed in the pages of scripture that leads us to repentance because in the pages of scripture we see revealed for us the person and work of Jesus Christ of God's son the ultimate word from the father who declares in Matthew 11:28 he says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus' message to those who are weighed down by sin and failure and death, burdened by all of our, our efforts, our works, our attempts to cover over our sin, to deliver ourselves through our own efforts, through our own idols, his word to us in this place of darkness and death that reveals God's heart to us. His word is come. It's turn. It's come and find rest for your souls. You don't have to chase after another idol. You don't have to check enough boxes. You don't have to do enough good works. Just look to Christ. Come to him. Come to the one who turned towards you. Is himself God's mercy for us. Because he says he is gentle and lowly in heart. In Christ, we see that at his heart, God is full of mercy, full of gentleness and humility. He's able to meet with us where we are. He's able to, to welcome and accept even the worst of sinners who place their faith in Christ. There's no darkness. There's no despair. There's no death. There are no mistakes. There's no failure that God cannot treat with his mercy. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And so we can turn to him, we can come to him and find rest for our souls. We can receive the yoke of Christ on us, which is not a yoke that crushes us, but a yoke that liberates us, that leads us into a liberated life of obeying him and serving him and telling other people about him. Because he's already done everything necessary to purchase our salvation, to purchase God's mercy for us. All we need to do is turn and repent to find a rest in Christ that is available, that is life-giving, that is eternity-altering. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done. This is the mercy that is available to us in Christ. And the Ninevites, they got to, to experience a part of this mercy. But, but it's not clear that they went on to, to find that the full rest of God's mercy in Christ. They, they heard the word of the Lord, they repented, they turned away from their violence but it's not, not clear that they fully entered into a, a relationship with God. Because the term that they use for God in Hebrew, it's the word Elohim. It's the generic word for God, uh, which is different than Yahweh, the covenant name for God given to him by his people. And so it seems that the Ninevites, out of fear and judgment, they turned from their wickedness and violence, but not that they turned into the full worship of God like the sailors did at the end of chapter 1. But even then, even then, their, repent, their repentance was enough for God to be merciful, for, for God to relent. Because that's how great his mercy is. And if that's how great his mercy was for them who didn't know Christ, how much more is his, his mercy great and sufficient for us who have known Christ, who do get to know Christ, who do get to encounter God's mercy in Christ? This is what is available to us. This is the kind of mercy he pours out. And you would think that Jonah, of all people, You'd think that Jonah, of all people who himself had encountered God's mercy in a miraculous way, you'd think that he would be first in line to celebrate the repentance of the Ninevites. But as we'll see in chapter 4 in a couple weeks, 
We'll see that the story has one more twist in store for us. It has one more sobering surprise to come. But what about you? Have you truly encountered this mercy in Christ? Have you heard the word of God, which reveals to us the merciful heart of God, the merciful work of Christ for us? Have you come to see that God's mercy is the only hope you have, but also that God's mercy is the only hope you need? And if you have believed that, how have you responded? Has his word led you to turn in repentance and faith, to come to Christ and find rest for your souls? Has it led you to turn from disobedience to obedience? Has it led you to turn away from your pride and idolatry to offer this message of mercy even to your enemies? Because God has spoken his word through a perfect, obedient messenger to bring even the most unexpected sinners to repentance in faith. So don't let your pride this morning, don't let your idols, don't let your shame, don't let your fear keep you from turning, keep you from coming to Christ. Because Jesus himself said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we thank you as we've read and seen in this passage how great your mercy is, how it can turn even uh, the most hostile, the, the most dangerous, the most volatile of cities to, to repentance, to, to cry out mightily to God. We thank you that you are God who is working in the world through your word, through your servants, to lead more people to repentance, to lead more people to cry out for your mercy. Lord, help us to participate in that. Help us to take your word to others, even the most unexpected or uh, the most challenging people and places. To speak your word to them, to share your word with them, that they might come to know your mercy in Christ. Lord, give us boldness, give us confidence. Help us to rest so fully in Christ that we're willing to give everything else up for him, that others might come to know this mercy. Lord, help us to, to do all this in your power and the strength of your spirit. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand, and we'll, we'll sing another song together.
time here by celebrating communion together uh, and this is a, is a time where as a church family uh, we participate in this this meal where we remember together uh, what Christ has done for us what we've just sung about what we've just read about in the word uh, so let me read for us from first Corinthians chapter 11 apostle Paul says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this time of communion, it's a time of remembrance, a time of celebration, a time to proclaim to our own hearts, to, to one another, through the symbol of the bread, the symbol of the cup, uh, how Christ's body was broken for us, how his blood was shed for us, how God poured out his mercy upon us and delivered us from death and judgment through the, the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we would say that if you're, you're here this morning, you're not sure about these things, you're not sure what this means, you're not sure that you have placed your trust in Christ, if you've personally received this mercy that we've been talking about, then we invite you this morning, instead of taking the, the elements themselves, we invite you to, to take Christ, 
Let this be the morning that you cast yourself on Christ's mercy. This be the morning that you look to him in faith. If you have any questions about that or how to do that or what that means, I'd love to talk with you more this morning uh, after the service. Uh, but if you, if you have made this profession of, of faith in Christ and, and are participating in this time, then our practice as a church is we pass out the bread first and we take it and receive it individually, eat it individually and prayerfully, contemplatively. And then we'll pass out the cup and when we receive the cup, we take it and we hold on to it uh, together and then we drink it together as a symbol of our unity in Christ. So uh, allow me to pray for the bread. Father, we... Uh, thank you for this ordinance, for the, the symbol of, of the bread that reminds us of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, whose body was broken for us, uh, that we might be made whole, whose body was uh, broken in death, that we might be made alive. Uh, Lord, so help us to proclaim this good news to ourselves, to one another, to receive this bread humbly and joyfully, wondrously, as we remember your mercy to us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.
Let me pray for the cup. Oh, merciful Father, we thank you for sending your son to shed his blood for us, to cleanse us from our sin, to, to make us new, to bring us into new life with you. So we pray that you'll help us to, to be humbled as we remember our sin, but also to, to rejoice and uh, to, to be filled with, with awe and wonder as we think about uh, your willingness to save, your willingness to send our son to be our perfect uh, savior, to, to perfectly obey your call to rescue his enemies, to shed his blood for his enemies. So help us to be a people that's, that are united in Christ, that are united in this message, united in this hope, of, of Christ's mercy, Lord. Help us to proclaim his death and his resurrection to one another and to our world. Uh, and let this be a time where we remember the wonder and the joy of that together. In Christ's name, amen. Let us drink together in our celebration of unity in Christ. All right, well, let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing one final song together. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us in your grace as a church family where we can rejoice and, and be humbled and, and contemplate the, the, the gift of, of Christ, the mercy you've poured out in Christ and his death and his resurrection. So help us now to praise you in response and help us to go from here and live a life that is obedient to you, that glorifies you with your help. Help us to go and take this message to proclaim the death and resurrection of Christ, your abundant mercy in Christ to others who don't yet know you, Lord. Help us, we pray, in all these things. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, please stand and we'll sing one more song together.
is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand. What comes apart from His command? to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope and life.
Amen. Well, let's remain standing just for a final word of benediction. Just a reminder after the service, we'll take about five minutes. You can go pick up kids from the nursery, refresh your coffee if you want. I don't know if there's any donuts left, um, but you can bring them back in here if you really want to. Um, and then we'll uh, have our congregational meeting in about five minutes. So I, I really encourage you, if you're able to come and stay for that, especially if you're a member, uh, that'll be a good time together. But let's go with these words from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Well, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Go in peace.